Welcome to the Westminster Effects Oxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. Go buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. That never gets shorter, does it? Uh, we are not joined by uh, one John Ross, Augsburg Christian, boat captain, etc., uh, but in person as usual. Hey, everybody. It's Bradley. You know who I am. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Short and sweet, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to do with that. Um, so we had a question we've talked, uh, we've touched on at least several times on the differences between uh expository and topical preaching and how here at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina, if you're looking for a church in the upstate, hit us up. Um, We prefer uh, the vast majority of the time to do it, uh, do the expository method, Mm -hmm. plowing through books of the Bible, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to which we're not averse to topical preaching, but that's not our norm. Yeah, and we've talked several times about some of the extremes of of topical preaching. Of you know, we have hobby horses and stuff like that, and uh, you know, it's it's Veterans Day or July Fourth or whatever. So I'm going to yank this verse out of context, make mm-hmm. it patriotic or what mm-hmm. have you. Uh, so in our weekly Inquisition post. <clears throat> Hayden Aiken asks, uh, can you discuss some of the nuances of topical versus expository preaching? I've listened to every single episode. Wow. Uh, that's kind of awesome. Yeah. And it seems like we really only talk about the extremes, the expository extreme, of course, being acceptable and the topical extreme being dangerous and not really the gray areas in between. For example, uh, a topical preacher, not cherry picking verses necessarily, but maybe picking select passages, uh, week to week. So what are your thoughts as a preacher who gets up there dang near every Sunday mm-hmm. to that question? Well, first of all, thanks Hayden for listening. It's really awesome that you've uh, listened to that's, all that's of That's a lot of hours to that's, listen to That us. is. That's, that's a, that's, wow. What a compliment. Um, you know, I, I saw this question in the lounge uh, yesterday, I think, or uh, whenever he posted mm-hmm. it, but you know, I think <laughs> As I thought about this, I really think if 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 biblical preaching is, is if it's going to be um, faithful and genuine and God honoring, has to have uh, I don't know if, if this is even the right word an element of expository mm-hmm. to it. Um, I, I think you know as as with most things there's always a spectrum to this you know right. you've got the Joel Osteen types who decide they want to talk about how to have a great attitude going through life and so he'll mm-hmm. cherry pick from the bible verses he'll that, go to the story of Joseph oh he had a good attitude in prison and god blessed him yeah and and it just it lacks any real uh, sincere effort to under to, to be faithful to the text. It's yep. like when I was when I was teaching. I taught three verses from First uh, Peter chapter two uh, Sunday, and you know I said to our church, I said, "You need to be praying. You need to be praying for me yep. that I will do right by this text right. because I, I was I was hammering on three verses, and 
you know, when when you do that, that's a little bit daunting because you've got to connect the dots with mm-hmm. the context that those verses are in. So anytime you reference one verse, I think there has to be some level of expository type thinking mm-hmm. that's included in that. And if you're going to do a topical message, which again, I'm not opposed to topical messages. I mean, yep. all of the folks that we, uh, pastor teachers that you and I know and love dearly, I know have done topical messages. They've done topical series even. R.C. Sproul, John Piper, all those guys have done topical series and messages. But there's always an element of expository. I'm going to root my thinking Mm -hmm. in the text, not use the text to bolster my thoughts and opinions and ideas that Mm -hmm. may may be completely unhinged. Right. In some ways from scripture. And it and it is more like admittedly more difficult to do something systematic like the overarching doctrine of God or the doctrine of the atonement mm-hmm. as a whole or even how we see the covenants or whatever if we're only going through books straight through. Yeah. Like you kind of have to be systematic and topical with those, sure. obviously trying to treat everything fairly within its own context. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if but if you're like within the Within First Peter, it'll be hard to uh, really explicitly define something like the Trinity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where where mm-hmm. there are other themes within First Peter that are really easy to to draw sure. out, right? That's absolutely right. I think you know, it, it, for me, it, I've, I think I've said this before. If I was looking for a church, and I was and I was like, I want to find a church that has good, solid biblical teaching. I wouldn't necessarily um, just you know ex- just decide that this church is not for me because I see that there's a you know a, a long string of topical messages. Mm-hmm. I, that wouldn't be I wouldn't immediately dismiss that church. What I would look for is are they in those topical series? Are they looking at chunks of texts? Right. Are they are is the is the teacher or teachers are they really endeavoring to understand how phrases connect, mm-hmm. you know, Piper's whole deal about arcing and, and, you know, when, when there's a therefore, are they, are mm-hmm. they helping me yep. understand what the therefore is there for? Right. You know, those kinds of things for me are going to be important because I, I think the goal of preaching, the goal of teaching is to be faithful to the text. It's exult in the text. It's, it's, it's magnify the word of God, not my thoughts and opinions. And, um, so yeah, I think the nuance really is not do we have top like at Res you're going to get we're studying through First Peter, mm-hmm. and we gave First Peter a title, but the title is rooted in you know one of the major themes of his letter, um, and that's good. That's what we do here at Res. But if mm-hmm. I go to a church and they're doing a series on marriage, or they're doing a series on the doctrine of God, or the Trinity, or they're doing something on anxiety, or even racial justice, uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna want to. I'm gonna want to see. Are they, are they rooting their thinking? Is is the is the pastor, the elders leading the church to root their thinking in scripture and connecting dots in larger chunks of text? Um, that's that to me is the nuance that I would not compromise on. Right. It, it's so easy to. You know, read and and you see this a lot in uh, in devotionals, really, mm-hmm. uh, particularly U version. That's not to say that you shouldn't use U version. U version's mm-hmm. great, great app. Um, but 
you know, you look at those devotionals and it'll be literally one verse and then seven or 800 words by the person who wrote the devotional. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the time, uh, it ends up being a waste of time, mm-hmm. honestly, because they're not actually drawing out what that text means. It's just, oh, well, what does this mean in your life mm-hmm. kind of thing? And there, I, I don't have time for that. No, no. You know, here's an example that might even be more helpful. Mm-hmm. We, we've given John Ross a lot of grief or, you know, over... <laughs> the episodes about, you know, his church doing at the movie series. Mm-hmm. I think you can absolutely do an at the movie series really well. Sure. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I've done them here before. Right. Res, and, and, and tried it just to see what I think. But I, if you, if you took a movie or a movie clip and you used it in an illustrative kind of way to, highlight and accentuate something that is there in the text Mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a, in a block of text, whether that block is two verses or eight verses or 12 verses. If you, if you're doing it that way, instead of the, the movie, like, like you're saying with you version, when you get one verse and then 800 words of commentary, if we've got one verse and 17 minutes of movie and some comments about the movie and a bunch of jokes, Mm -hmm. I don't like that. I don't no. think that's being faithful no. to what God's called us to do. But if you're if you're using that in the right way, honestly, I think it's harder. Yeah, if it really I is. Was, and I and again, I'm not I'm not trying to say that I'm just trying to take the easy route because expository preaching is not easy. And, at and all. there there have been some pretty famous preachers out there who have said that just going through books of the Bible is the quote unquote easy way out. Well, it's the easy way out in terms of. There's less pressure on me to come up with catchy titles. Yep. Um, to you know be innovative and you know I, like if if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna decide to do a, a teaching series on <clears throat> let's just say anxiety. For me, because I'm committed to expository teaching, mm-hmm. that's going to be more work. Yep. Than what I'm doing this week, which is I left off at verse three of chapter two of first Peter. So I know I'm picking up at verse four. Right. And I'm going to, by the end of today, decide how far I'm going. Right. Based on what I see in the text and based on the amount of time that I have to unpack it. Mm hmm. And that takes some of the pressure off of, of having to like, oh, man, you know, there's so much I could talk about with anxiety and the Bible has different things mm-hmm. to say about worry and anxiety and fear. How do we how, nuance science with it and yeah. legitimate medical things? And, Absolutely. That, that's going to be more work. Yeah. And um, I, I just think that what people need is the Word of God. I mean, one of the verses this past week, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, mm-hmm. if indeed you yep. have tasted that the Lord is good. So in my life, I might have issues with anxiety. I might have issues in marriage. I might have issues with the political climate or my finances or my health or all these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I want my people to come to church craving the milk of the word, even right. if it's not always so neatly tied off in a bow in terms of its practicality to my immediate life issues, um, that I could come away having been nourished by the word, yep. then, then I can go and, and live my life and face the challenges that I'm facing. That's my ethos. But 
It, it kind of reminds me of, of how uh, Corey Truax frames his entire show. So shout out to Corey Truax. Go listen to him. Uh, yep. He has a really good podcast. Uh, it's, it's easy to find because no one else is named Corey Truax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, he uses Eleanor Roosevelt's framework of, of small minds talk about, is it Eleanor Roosevelt? I don't know. Um, small minds talk about people. Uh, regular minds talk about events. And then large minds talk about what's underneath all of that. All of that, yeah. Um, so so we, can, we can use something in pop culture, whether it's an at the movies or mm-hmm. whether it's something that Donald Trump has said or mm-hmm. what have you. Well, you have that person and then what they did. Mm-hmm. Well, what's driving that underneath? And that's what is actually going to give you the foundation for life application in the first place. Yep. You don't, you don't have to have, you know, four easy steps to, <laughs> to improve your marriage because that's law ultimately. Yeah. Well, it's just, I don't know. Like so, sometimes I have these thoughts about, um, like I've told you, I, I felt like, okay, I need to address the fact that we're, you know, in an election year and, mm-hmm. and we're getting really close. I, I feel like there's, I need to I need to be able to speak to my people about that. Right. Um, marital issues are are a constant with people. Oh yeah. And I need to speak to marriage and, um, you know, all these kinds of things that feel like they need to be addressed. But mm-hmm. you know what's so amazing to me is that I pray, I seek the Lord, I work with our elders. We like okay when we finish a book, where do we want to live in Scripture next? And the Lord leads us to First Peter, and it's just so amazing that not this Sunday, but next Sunday, He's going to speak to how we, um, our posture towards government and those who are right. in power. Right. right? It, it's going to lead me to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the next chapter, we're going to talk about marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, slaves and masters, and, and, and there's all these things that need to be addressed. And yep. here, lo and behold, the Bible's leading me there. And, and How about that? And, 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 and that's what's so cool about just saying, okay, we're just going to teach Scripture. We're just going to teach the Bible and let the Bible, the Bible doesn't really need a lot of my help. No. You know, I think there is a spiritual gift of teaching. There's the need for teachers in the church. Mm-hmm. And if we would just be faithful stewards of the text, and whatever that looks like for you, if that is is more of a topic, topical kind of approach or just teaching straight through books, just be faithful to the text. Right. And if you commit yourself to that, you're going to have a great experience in the Word of God every Sunday. Yeah, that, that reminded me of a... Uh of something Vody Bauckham said, and you know, whenever Vody says anything, mm-hmm. like he's just going to punch you in the gut. Oh man! Where uh, the Bible doesn't really need my help. Where uh, he he said, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, Tim Tebow is a Christian, just as an example. He's like, okay, <laughs> and aren't well, aren't you excited? You know, he's got this platform and whatever, and he's like, you do know that Jesus has the name above every name. So why do we think that Tebow is really going to help that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. well, I, I I think um, you know nuances, Hayden. I don't know that there really is a whole lot of nuance. If it's it, it's just if you can look beyond the presentation. Yeah. Right? Everything yeah. Er, everything we do in the church has an element of presentation to it. So, 
what we need to be able to see is what's underneath that presentation, what's guiding it, what's it rooted in. And I think you can smell really quickly a church's and its leadership's commitment to the text yep. pretty quickly. Where does that stand? Mm-hmm. Are we just trying to grow this church and be attractive and innovative and appealing yep. uh, to all types of people? Is that It's not that those things are bad and wicked in and of themselves, right? but if that's what's in the lead, I think that's a problem. Right, where, where it basically becomes cold playing a TED Talk. That's right. <laughs> don't, don't make, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but don't make topical versus expository into the same kind of war that we had versus, you know, when it was contemporary versus um, traditional praise and worship music. Right. Or Sunday school versus small groups. Or, you know, um, I, I can't think of what else. Sunday night church or not Sunday night church. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, all those things that we get so either or about. Yep. Really, at the end of the day, you can have hymns, uh, Sunday school, traditional worship, and straight up expository preaching straight through the word and have a great church mm-hmm. at the same time you can have modern music small groups no sunday night church and topical messages yeah. and still have a fantastic church yep. committed to, to diving into the word and worshiping in spirit and in truth yep absolutely that's what you gotta look for well i think that's a good place to leave it let's move on to the inquisition And this is the Inquisition, uh, basically the second half of the show where we take questions from you, the listener, via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Uh, This week we have Brian Morris as his tradition, and we'll bundle his question with Cam Lawson. So Brian Morris asks, what happened to the dinosaurs? And Cam Lawson asks, uh, was there death before the fall? If humans and animals were herbivores, wouldn't that imply that the plant died? So basically you have some age of the earth uh, type of questions. So mm. so what's your take on that, Bradley? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the question about death is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I, I... I don't know that I have a informed enough view to be... Sure. Like, hey, this is what's the deal. Um, I, I, I do what I do see in Scripture is that God gave everything to Adam. Yep. For his benefit and mm-hmm. his, um, I guess, consumption and yeah. stewardship. Yep. So, is it possible that animals were being killed and eaten prior to the fall? Right. I guess so. It could have. Could have, yeah. The Bible's not explicit about that, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it never says that Adam, you know, killed a cow and had some ribeyes one night before, <laughs> Eve, you know, before Eve was made. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, People but, typically go to Romans 5 that it was through sin that death entered the world. Yep. But I don't, I don't know that that's talking about animal death. That, that's the thing is you got to, you got to be careful to apply that to all. I mean, you know, when in, in the, the new heavens and the new earth, we, we, we read about, you know, the lion will lie down with the lamb mm-hmm. and death will be no more. Right. So it, it, does that mean that in the garden of Eden, that Adam was only a herbivore that, that that's not explicit in the text. Right. So we don't know, but we do know that the, everything that God created, 
he created it for the benefit of Adam. And so I, it would not unravel my hermeneutic to think that, you know, Adam killed a cow or a chicken and, mm-hmm. you know, whipped up some, some vittles there. I think, I, I think one of the, the weakest arguments that young earth creationists use and, and cards on the table. I'm an old earth, an old earth guy. Mm-hmm. Like, like I don't have any problem with, you know, the universe being a bazillion years old or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the ultimate thing is, is we're Adam and Eve special creations of God yes. explicitly. And if you got that, okay, we're good. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where, you know, I, I have an issue with like the bio logos crew where they're theistic evolutionists, but then a couple of them are like, well, maybe Adam and Eve were more mythical, and that's mm. that's a huge problem. Yep, yep. Um, but the the weakest argument I think that that young Earth creationists uh, have is, you know, well, God said it was good, and death is bad, therefore death wasn't present. Mm. But what's the best event that ever happened? Well, the crucifixion and resurrection, <laughs> right? Yeah. Where where you see you see both good and evil present there, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you see God's wrath and grace simultaneously expressed mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in their fullest extent. Mm-hmm. And that death was really, really good. Yeah. And even the sacrificial system, even though they were pointing to Jesus, those deaths were also good because it covered the sins uh, basically until Jesus took care of it in yeah. space time. Right? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It, um, and, and I think I've said this on the podcast before is that um, I have room for a lot, a large space of time between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Yeah. And so what happened to the dinosaurs? I mean, for all I know, God created the the heavens and the earth and put dinosaurs on the planet. Mm -hmm. And in his sovereign wisdom, those dinosaurs became extinct uh, and the earth was formless and void. and, And then he at maybe relatively recent compared to what carbon dating and other things might mm-hmm. put the age of things at relatively recent. He created Adam and Eve. Yep. Uh, that yep. could be what happened 10,000 years ago or 15,000 years mm-hmm. ago, whatever it might be. He created Adam and Eve and redemptive history began at that point. Right. I, for all I know, that could be what happened. I really like what Hugh Ross says. So he's Hugh Ross is an astrophysicist who founded uh, the organization Reasons to Believe. Their website's reasons.org. But particularly, I think it was his 2016 AMP conference keynote address. He kind of walked through um, how, how, from his perspective, and obviously this can be controversial for some, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the days of creation correspond perfectly to what science says about the earth's atmosphere becoming uh, uh, translucent and then transparent and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And it's the only creation narrative from ancient history that gets more than two right mm-hmm. in that order. And the Bible gets all of them right. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and his, his thing is, you know, uh, is that the dinosaurs, you know, f- as science says right now, killed roughly 65 million years ago and whatever, and that's where we get most of our oil. Well, Hugh Ross's contention is, well, that was all providence to set up the possibility for people getting saved in the future in the first place. Yeah, it's all part of redemptive history. I mean, it's all part of God putting his glory on display, and yeah, 
so so regardless of where we land i think i think where where ken ham gets it wrong often as he said he keeps hammering well i i just believe what the bible says Mm -hmm. well I do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're agreeing on the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. But if you're making six literal 24-hour days like the the hill you're going to die on as opposed to a historical Adam and Eve and God doing it all, which is really the point of Genesis. That that's the that's the point. Yeah. That's the point. Because Moses's audience was the Hebrews who had just come out of Egypt mm-hmm. where they had raw and all those other gods doing different things. He's like, no, Yahweh did all this. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. 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 So. I th- you know, I, w- I was reading something um, yesterday about, you know, people, people saying that n- the, the story of Noah and the flood is not a real mm-hmm. story and that Jesus was mistaken. Yeah. When he referenced that as a literal historical event. Um, but when you examine that closely, that there's a um, th- there's a really interesting tidbit about that story that I think often gets missed that mm-hmm. that almost makes it fit so perfectly, if 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 this is right, in the redemptive story. Yeah, the son the sons of God lusted after the daughters of men. Yeah. Right. Yep. You got to do something with that, whatever yep. that means. And I know that raises a ton of questions that we're not going to get into. In this you podcast. got some conspiracy theories and oh, all that yeah. kind of goofy okay, stuff. But let's just say like you take the book of Jude mm-hmm. and the book of Jude references demons who left their post and committed unspeakable acts. Mm-hmm. And since that time, God has them chained in the abyss mm-hmm. from that time till this. And, and you know, until you know, the reconciliation of all things, those demons are chained. Whatever right. they did merited a, a significant punishment. Mm-hmm. God tells Eve, your seed is going to crush the serpent's head. Right. So why did the flood happen? Mm-hmm. In right. theory. Right. If the sons of God lusting after the daughters of man produced mm-hmm. a race mm-hmm. or a bloodline of humanity that was tainted. Yeah. It makes perfect sense that God would wipe out the whole earth and preserve Noah. Right. You're not, order. you're not necessarily advocating for that. You're, you're saying what if, what if, right. what, just what if, right. like it, 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 in order to preserve a bloodline, mm-hmm. cause that's the plan. A blood preserving, like, and you see that all through the Old Testament is yeah. preserving that bloodline. And if you're Satan, what are you going to do when God says, you know, her seed, mm-hmm, someone's going to come from her line, this bloodline that's mm-hmm. going to crush your head. What are you going to do? Well, I need to taint that bloodline. Right. I got to sabotage that somehow. Right. And so it, it could be. Right. I know that maybe sounds like a stretch and far-fetched to some, but I'm like, you know, that that whole sons of God, daughters of men thing, and, and then what Jude talks about mm-hmm. is, is one of those mysteries to me in the Bible. And, and my point is simply that, you know, that part of human history, um, even prior to the creation story, whatever existed and however that all played out, yep. like you said, it's all fitting. You know, we're speculating. You know, our oil comes from these dinosaurs that died Goes 65 million years ago, million yeah. years ago <laughs> and God's, you know, it could be, could it be that in his sovereignty, he's, pre- he's setting the earth up to preserve and sustain 
humanity in order to complete his redemptive story. And and if it was only 5,000 years ago, then okay. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but, but we need to have room within, within our theology. Like we need to have that foundation settled enough that we can have some of these theoretical conversations. Sure. Like I even had a guy and obviously he, he came around and disagreed with it, but he was like, so he's, he's, thinking through like a theoretical universalism where you have multiple universes where everyone somehow gets saved in each universe. Mm, mm. <laughs> and he was just kind of thinking through that. And obviously he came back around and like, no, that can't line up really biblically because there are going to be people in hell and there is going to be yeah. judgment and that kind of yeah. thing. He's like, but what if, mm. and, and he actually, he had room to kind of explore that and then come back around and be like, no, nah, Mm. No, we're good. <laughs> yeah. It's like there's there's nothing wrong with exploring those kind of thoughts, no. provided you have the foundation. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Nobody and, nobody and, go and maybe, crazy over maybe, my sons of God, yeah. daughters of men theory. Yeah. Don't go crazy over yeah. that. I'm just speculating about things that are in the Bible and right. what that what that could mean. And, and, and that's a really tough thing. And maybe maybe you're right. Well, and but I, I would say that you do see throughout the Genesis account this preservation of the bloodline mm-hmm. right that would would lead to ultimately to Jesus and and I do think that's that's part of the redemptive story and maybe yep. that maybe that fits into it there right there and so I don't know possibly fun topic yeah so next question Austin Dobbs asks where is the line of incorporating melodies or recognizable musical themes from popular or cinematic music into contemporary Christian music or worship music during a Sunday morning worship service. And specifically referencing, uh, there was a pretty funny post recently in the lounge where someone had taken, oh, I think it might have been Elevation, but I don't recall exactly. And they and they put uh, the the Rebels theme from Star Wars over it as a lead guitar line. And, you know, you, you hear people, you know, playing playing Guns N' Roses or what have you. <laughs> somebody did Guns N' Roses? Somebody did, uh, somebody played uh, the lead of Sweet Child of Mine over uh, a worship song. Oh, like, where, where the key and the tempo all lined up. And, and so they did that as part of their lead line. So, mm. so what's, what is our thought process within that? <laughs> there, there. I will admit there is one part, and I'm not going to tell you what song it is, <laughs> nor the nor the artist. Uh, but there is one, and I'm talking five second thing at the end of a song that I will often do while we're kind of ringing it out. Yeah. And but it was only that artist's live thing that they did. It all matches up with the key, but it's not. Nobody's going to know. Yeah, Literally, yeah, no yeah. one's going to know. Yeah. Um, but I, that doesn't really sit right with me of, you know, (laughs) pulling off a a slash line or, (laughs) or something from ACDC or or whatever. That doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. I don't know, man. You know, I, first of all, I I like guns and roses. (laughs) Do you? (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry if that disappoints any of the listeners, but I like guns and roses. Um, you know, it, as much in, in an appropriate way, I like them. <laughs> um, I, I I always go to the why question. I mean, yeah. why are you doing it? You know, I, could it be that a a secular song, a, a you know, a riff that a recognizable riff 
could somehow be leveraged for the glory of God, maybe. Yeah. Um, it you know I, I know we all know Martin Luther took bar tunes and whatever and wrote mm-hmm. hymns and put put lyrics that honored God and to music that sounded familiar. Um, and so I, it's not to say that that stuff couldn't be leveraged for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. I think the when I imagine myself being in a service with the people of God, worshiping God, and all of a sudden I hear the sweet child of mine lead, I'm distracted at that point. Yeah. My mind yeah. is not going to be further folk or, or, you know, more focused on God. Right. Because of that, it's going to be less focused on God. I'm going to imagine, you know, Slash with his hair and his top hat, you know, <laughs> uh, playing that riff with his guitar hanging almost to his ankles. Yeah. You know, that's what I'm going to imagine. I'm not going to, I'm not going to think more deeply about God because of that. And, so, and some of us gear nuts are even going to start thinking about, well, he has a signature Gibson yeah, and, right. and it costs this much. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But then he also has a signature Epiphone and it costs this much and it does sound pretty good and on down, you know? I, I'll say this. I don't think it's wicked. Um, what I would say is that we live in a in an, an extremely distracted, yeah. distractible culture. Yep. And if you're going to do things like that, you better be really, really clear about the why. And you better be really, really intentional about how you're going to leverage those songs, those riffs, those recognizable things for the glory of God, for the enhancement of our worship in spirit and in truth. You got to be yep. really clear yep. about that because I just think that it it takes little to nothing for people in a congregational setting to be chasing squirrels mentally. Yeah, and we're even at the point and I'm not decrying the fact that we we have a nursery or anything like that, but if a baby cries yeah. in our service, we're so not used to that that that's even a, a pretty big distraction for our people at this point. Yeah, I mean, I ran into a, a, a young father in our church in the parking lot after the first service Sunday, and he had his little ones. He was getting them in the car, and for the last five or six Sundays, I don't know that there's been one service where one of them didn't just go absolutely berserk and he'd have to take (laughs) them into the foyer. And I've watched him. He'll, he'll take particularly the little girl. He'll walk back, he'll open the foyer doors. And Mm -hmm. we've just been so cool with this during the pandemic. He'll, he'll open the foyer doors Mm -hmm. and sit on the floor in the foyer with her Mm -hmm. in his lap and let her crawl and roam around. And he keeps listening. Yeah. And but they did so good on Sunday, and mm. and I walked up to the car. And yeah, just, I was about to say I didn't notice anything this Sunday. <laughs> the two little ones and I congratulated them. But you're right; it's so easy to get distracted. I just think you got to be really careful with that because I, I think people's minds are not going to not going to go to a place that's helpful and good. Now, if you're just doing it for fun, there again, this is another side of this, Cody. Mm-hmm. I don't want to yep. be. I don't want to be like a. Uh, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge when it comes to church. I mean, it's not like we can't have fun at church. No. We should have fun at church. It should be fun to worship God. And, and there and there are songs that we play where it's like, holy crap, that riff is fun to That's play. That's fun. And, yeah. and, and it, I mean, we're supposed to be delighting mm-hmm. in the most delightful God of the universe. Right. Our, our pleasures in Him are 
lasting and forever. So let's not let's not dumb down that worship of of the living God is not fun and delightful. It right. is, and it should be. Okay, but to do something lighthearted in a service, I, again, I don't want to be a Scrooge about that. But I mean, how much does the church gather now? Not as much as before. I said I've said this yeah. many times. Yep. I grew up Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night revivals. I mean, just gathering with God's people was such occupied so much more yep. of our week than it does now. And so my mindset when I come when it comes to our Sunday morning services and other gatherings is I don't want to waste a second. You know? I, it's not that I mind a joke here and there mm-hmm. um, or something funny. I mean, certainly those things can be helpful, but I don't know, man. You just just be really clear about the why. Yeah, and I, and I do appreciate that he specified during a Sunday morning worship service. Like if there is if there's a a band that you know they do worship music, but they're doing something like on a Friday night. Yeah, who cares? Like, do whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> I play. I played the other week, and I came into rehearsal and picked up my guitar and started playing "Free Fallin" by Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. I think you you did some Dave Matthews too. Yeah, I did some yeah. Dave Matthews, just messing around. But that's yeah. not the Sunday morning, and that was right before practice, and we quickly got mm-hmm. into the business at hand. Right, but I, I mean, and there have been times where after we were done practicing, like people end up playing kind of whatever for a minute. Okay, whatever, you yeah. know. Yeah, but because like our our lives don't simply revolve around worship music in and of itself. That's right. But, yeah, everything to the glory of God. But I mean, everybody knows I'm a metalhead. Mm-hmm. Like I like louder, more aggressive forms of music that obviously don't translate <laughs> to congregational <laughs> settings. Uh, though there is that one metal church in Norway or Sweden, but maybe they can get away with that there because Sweden and Norway are just like. They're the mecca of metal in the first place, and mm. they just they just do it better than we do anyway. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I can't say I knew that. Yeah, uh, oh, I will introduce you. Don't worry. Uh, so, <laughs> Hunter Chapin, last question. Uh, this one gets pretty intensely theological, but then it also has huge practical implications. Does God foreordain both good and bad, and if so, does He actuate both as well? So, getting into God's sovereignty, God's providence, uh, you know, primary causation versus secondary causation. Uh, I think that was Calvin, right? Yeah. Um, and and on down the line is you can even get into double predestination and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this this is a big one that really throws up red flags for people, right? Yeah, and you know, forty minutes into a podcast, I don't want to. <laughs> this deserve this question really does deserve its own episode, but yeah, and we can we'd have to open the here. Bible and look at a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what I would say: I, I said it on Sunday um, that the Bible does create, and I'm pulling this from Piper uh, unashamedly because he's right. The Bible creates new categories of thought for us that don't fit neatly in our existing mental frameworks. Mm-hmm. Okay, a good God who sovereignly wills, whether that's primary, secondary, we we'll call it, you know, what, however you want to phrase it, He wills things to happen that are evil for His good purpose, right? Without sinning, mm-hmm. for God to do that, and it's and He still be good, He still be perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. Um, 
he is love. All of that stuff is not compromised. God does not sin when he will sin to happen, mm-hmm. right? That's an entirely new category of thought for for us that we we have to embrace by faith and depending on the Holy Spirit to to work that into our souls and minds, renew our minds so that we can uh, live out the transformed life. Because, you know, when you mentioned Joseph earlier, when Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery um, and betrayed at, you know, such a deep level. Yeah. After he comes to power in Egypt and reunites with his brothers, he says to them in Genesis 50, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. Mm-hmm. It's not that he used it for good. He meant it for good. He meant it for good. Yeah. And you can, you can, because we have the benefit of looking back on that story, what we know is that Joseph and his brothers represent the 12 tribes of Israel from which the Messiah would come. And God is preserved. God used Joseph and his betrayal and enslavement and imprisonment, all of those things to get his dad and his 11 brothers out of a land of famine into the land of Egypt where mm-hmm. they could be sustained. To preserve the bloodline. To like preserve the bloodline. <laughs> and, and that's exactly right. I mean, the, the, the sovereign hand of God willing things that if you isolate them look mm-hmm. evil and sinful, yep. but when you put them in the context of the greater redemptive story, they're perfect, they're good. Yep, and then you even look at stuff like, uh, I think it's Isaiah 10, where God tells Israel, I'm going to send the Assyrians to to knock you around a little bit. And I think the language there is that he's, he's wielding them like, like a hammer or Mm -hmm. something of the sort. Like, like he has a grip on the hand on the hammer and he is swinging the Assyrians onto Israel. But then at the same time, he's going to turn around and judge Assyria Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and judge them for the sins that they commit against Israel. Exactly. And so we have to reckon with, yes, we are responsible. God is sovereign. And you just kind of have to live there. Right. But at the, Sorry, one more thing. But at the same time, if God doesn't, if he's not sovereign over both good and evil, and if he doesn't foreordain both, then we have meaningless evil in the world. That, that's exactly right. And I think that Jonathan Edwards is so helpful to yeah. me right here yeah. when he talks about, and I'm paraphrasing him, but when he talks about how the presence of evil in the world and sin in the world and and also the, the eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. Right? How yeah. do you? How do we? How do we reconcile that? Why mm-hmm. is that even necessary? I mean, even you know, okay, throw Hitler in hell for a million years. Is that mm-hmm. enough? Like, like right. to, to, to cover the Holocaust? I mean, I, I it, it has to be that God, because God is ultimately for God, God is exalting His own glory. That the presence of these things is going to serve a purpose to accentuate and highlight and celebrate his glory and righteousness in a way that without them, mm-hmm. those, those, I think Jonathan Edwards says those things would be less vivid. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I think is the word he used, uh, which uses. is a, which is a really good word. It's a really good word. It would be less vivid without these things. And so as hard as that is for us to understand and get our minds around, we, we have to anchor our trust and hope in the God who would will the sinful acts of men that crucified the Son of the Living God yep. 
for our redemption and salvation. Yep. Like, yep. And, and Peter, Peter says it so well, uh, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge yep. of God, you mm-hmm. crucified Jesus. Yep. And then even in, in Revelation 1, where it talks about, you know, even those who pierced him are going to see him. Mm-hmm. And they're and they're not going to be happy about it. That's right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. yes, I think in in a very, at, at a real foundational level, does God will both good and evil to happen? Yes, he does. And I know yep. there are nuances there. Yep. There are... There are questions and theological dots that we need to connect and, and even hold intention at times when we really do when we really unpack mm-hmm. that foundational truth. But there is I, I do think there is a foundational block in our theological framework yep. that is God is sovereign over both good and evil. And this is this is, you know, really what kind of uh, this and and the soteriology are really what drew me to the more reformed side of things. It mm-hmm. it, it actually deals with it, yeah, it <laughs> where, where everybody else is just like, oh no, that's not a thing. Well, the Bible says something about it. You got to deal with it somehow. <laughs> it drives me crazy, Cody. Oh man, soapbox Cody, time. it drives me crazy. <laughs> when I I've heard it, I don't know how many times a pastor stands up and says, you know, don't tell me God always gets his way. God, mm. it, you know, don't tell me that when a child is 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 uh, kidnapped and murdered, or a woman is raped, or an abortion happens, that God's mm-hmm. having His way. He's not having His way. If God's having His way, and all those things are happening, then I don't want to worship God. That's that's a dangerous thing to say. Oh man, it makes me fighting mad. Yeah, because you have just, I don't know, you you have you have attempted you're unsuccessfully, but you have <laughs> attempted. To dumb God down to some manageable, logical uh, deity that fits neatly within your emotional yeah. psyche, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, you you have lo- you have robbed everybody mm-hmm. who listens and amens that of a sense of awe of God that we we desperately need to recapture. Yeah, that God could will and be sovereign over good and evil and be good and be doing absolutely the right things and always, you know, up, up, upholding and exalting his righteousness and holiness yep. is part of what, as I come into his presence, I want my words to be few. Yeah. I want to be, in, I want to be in awe. I want to be silent yep. and I want to hear him, you know, and that man, that drives me crazy when I hear that. Story. Same, same here. I mean, you gotta, you have to let scripture speak for itself and you have to let it speak for itself within context just like we've been talking about over and over in this episode yeah <clears throat> let it speak for itself in context connect those dots and actually look at the entire council of scripture as mm-hmm. opposed to the stuff you're comfortable with absolutely um I think it was Doug Wilson who says, for the Christian, once the, once the exegesis is done, there should be no problem passages in Scripture that we apologize for. Yeah. Like, we need to be comfortable with, in the ultimate sense, like, once we've done the hard work, we need to be comfortable with everything Scripture says. Well, it, it comfortable, yes. I, I maybe, think, maybe that's the wrong word. I, what I would say is we need to be unapologetic about un, it. Unapologetic, and we need to get comfortable with living in tensions. Yeah, there there are tensions still for me in Scripture that I I wrestle with, and I but I don't. It's as I say all the time, and you know, um, I probably got this from Piper or somebody too. We don't <laughs> judge the Bible; the Bible judges us. Yep, and you say that all the time in, if, in if, church. If my 
if I read something in Scripture that doesn't just jive with my logic and my, again, existing mental frameworks, then I know the problem's me, not the Bible. Right. And right. I, I want to... I want to do what Martin Luther said. I want to hammer on the text until it yields its water. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff today. All right. Uh, make sure you follow us. Comment. Facebook and Instagram at Westminster Effects. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Leave a five-star review. All that good stuff. You can support the show at anchor.fm. And that's all. We'll see you next week. Thanks.